Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.18 Pacific Daylight Time. It is April the 7th, 2023, and this is episode 700 of Bitcoin. And thanks for getting me out of uh, the number 14 spot. I am now in the number 13 spot on Fountain Charts. I didn't do it. You did that. I can't do it because it's unethical. Even though it's possible. I could, you know, I could boost the shit out of myself, but, you know, there's no fun in that. There's just, there's no fun in that. So it's not just that trying, you know, trying to do the right thing and, you know, trying to carry ethics forward. There's, there's reasons that you do it. But one of the reasons is it makes things harder. Sure, I could be number one. I could just dump 20 bucks and or $200 on my ass all the time. But eventually, you know what happens? Somebody would find out. Somebody would figure it out. I'm not that smart to cover my tracks. I'm just not. (laughs) So therefore, having an ethical standpoint makes it more difficult for success. It, it, It just does. And this is what nobody in Western legacy finance has ever understood. That winning when all the cards are stacked in your favor is not really winning. And Doge is absolutely a poster child for that sentiment. Let's get right into it with Decrypt.co. Dogecoin drops sharply after Twitter Bluebird returns. Matt DeSalvo has this one from Decrypt.co. Doge goes up and Doge goes down. Dogecoin, the eighth biggest cryptocurrency by market cap. And Elon Musk's favorite digital asset has continued its plunge in value after the logo was dropped from the Twitter website. The original meme coin was down 8% at the time of writing, trading for a mere 8.6 United States pennies, according to CoinGecko. It sharply dropped in value Thursday afternoon Eastern time, as much as 6% in an hour, just after the Dogecoin logo disappeared from Twitter's platform. Dogecoin's logo, a Shiba Inu dog meme, on Monday mysteriously appeared on Twitter's website, replacing the Bluebird logo. Its value then surged by over 20%. Talking about having the cards stacked in your favor. But today, the bird logo has returned and the dog is gone. Elon Musk, who owns Twitter and frequently talks about Doge, is yet to give an explanation as to why the microblogging website's logo changed in the first place. Dogecoin was invented in 2013 by a group of engineers as a joking tribute to the Doge meme of a Shiba Inu dog. The idea was to poke fun at Bitcoin, the biggest and oldest digital asset. Tesla CEO Elon Musk and the world's on and off richest man started pumping the coin on Twitter 
in 2020 by posting memes and it went up in value and gained a cult following. Since then, Musk and fellow billionaire investor Mark Cuban have said the coin could be used one day as a serious cryptocurrency for payments. The asset is currently trading 88% lower than its November 2021 all-time high of 73 cents. Now, I don't know if you remember that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you don't, yeah, Dogecoin went to 73 cents. And like, and I'd held a bag of Doge. I don't know. I, I think I got... I think I bought into Doge at 2015, shortly after I bought my first Bitcoin. I can at least say that the very first thing that I ever bought in the space was Bitcoin. And then I bought Dogecoin. Shit you not. And, you know, traded Bitcoin for it like a dumbass. But at the time, I was, I didn't know any better. I just didn't. Most people don't. It's not like you're not going to get your your sea legs almost immediately for the very first time in your life after stepping onto your very first boat in stormy weather. It's just not going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. So yes, I am guilty. I was a shit coiner. I bought Doge and I held on to that son of a bitch until November 2021 when I was like, okay, at this point, all the fun is gone. It's now become something that it was never meant to be. The, one of the whole reasons that I bought that thing is that it was funny. It was hilarious. We were watching Dogecoin, the whole Doge emblem, be stickered onto a NASCAR race car. You know, there was a whole team sponsored by Doge. And then there was like, I think a sledding team that was sponsored by Doge. It was cute. That's all it was at the time. It wasn't dangerous it wasn't considered shit coinery because we hadn't even come up with the term yet. It was just a thing and it was fun and it was cute and it was basically kind of innocent. Even though that the makers of Doge weren't just poking fun at Bitcoin, they thought the entire issue was so stupid and the way that they proved their point to themselves at least was that they say anybody can do this, see we'll do this and then they did. They spun up a coin. I, I can't remember what they forked it from. I think they forked it from Litecoin. I can't remember exactly how this shit came into being. And they said, since anybody can do this, then it's going to dilute everybody's purchasing power because of, guess what, inflation. Well, what they never realize is that Dogecoin isn't Bitcoin. Litecoin is not Bitcoin. None of the other shit coins are Bitcoin. Only Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And they kind of proved that point. They didn't mean to. They wanted to, you know, basically tell everybody that they were stupid. So they weren't just poking fun at Bitcoin. It was kind of a malicious attempt. I didn't realize it at the time, but, it, you know, it doesn't matter. I cut loose of my bags at 54 cents. Because people are that stupid. Yeah, I know. You can go, you know what? I don't like you anymore because you preyed upon the weak. No, no. I just got finished being stupid. That's it. Now, I'm never going to do that again. I don't hold any other shit coins. Except for there's... I got rid of my last... What was it? There was there was a... I can't remember the name of it. It was airdropped to me uh, several times while I was using some mes some encrypted messaging app. And I can't remember the name of it offhand. Is it... I think I even got rid of it because I just never used it. Yeah, I can't even, 
It's not even in my in my system tray. <coughs> so no, I got rid of that too. That shit I didn't trade because there was no nobody was making a market for it. Hell, I went to Hoddle Hoddle. I went to Bisk. I couldn't find anybody that wanted this. I want to say it was EOS. I'm not sure what the hell it was, but whatever, whatever it was, there was nobody making a market for it. I couldn't sell it for Bitcoin because nobody was that dumb. So I just, I just donated it over to, uh, it was, uh, oh, the tour, the guys that are running tour, because they were taking it as a donation. So I just gave them like, I think I ended up giving them 1200 of these things. Don't care. Don't miss it. All my Ethereum is gone. All of my Doge is gone. All of my Litecoin is gone because yes, I had that shit too. All right. Nobody was immune in 2015 from this stupid garbage. All right. So if you feel bad, don't feel bad. Everybody did it. Okay. There, I don't know a single person that did not have a digital asset that wasn't Bitcoin. Everybody got into it. So don't feel bad. Just get rid of it as soon as you can. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and let's get back into Twitter because they're not done being stupid. Cointelegraph.com, Tristan Green has this one. Twitter seems to have blocked all interaction with tweets containing Substack links. So they're blocking Substack. Twitter users on both mobile and web found themselves unable to interact with tweets containing links to Substack pages on April the 7th. That would be today. When many users attempt to like, retweet, or reply to posts containing Substack links, they're given an error message that, quote, some actions on this tweet have been disabled by Twitter, end quote. In some cases, users report the UI seems to register their like or retweet, but upon inspection, it doesn't appear to be counting or displaying those interactions. It's unclear at this time whether the issue is a bug or an intended feature, Twitter appears to have cut off the ability for Substack users to embed tweets in their post as of April 6th, but per The Verge, a spokesperson for Substack did not clarify whether they believe the issue involved a change to the Twitter API or if it was a bug. The inability of Twitter users to interact with tweets containing Substack links appears to have begun around the same time. However, thus indicating the two problems are related. The issue comes on the heels of multiple recent mysterious changes at Twitter. Oh, so mysterious. Absolutely mysterious. Uh, including several days where the platform featured Doge uh, image in place of Twitter's bird logo and nonprofit media organization National Public Radio received a star media label. No, I'm sorry. Receiving a state media label. Oh, that that's kind of interesting. Let's see. Hold on. There's a, hold on. Let me see this. Elon Musk says NPR state-affiliated media label might not have been accurate, and that's from NPR.org. So they've got their own, they had their own little bitch fest about it, which I'm not going to read because you know what? Screw NPR. It's just enemy chatter at this point. It also bears mentioning that Substack announced Notes, a Twitter-like posting application that could be seen as competition to the Bird app on April the 5th, so two days ago. Substack is often regarded as a place for expert-level bloggers to share their thoughts with like-minded communities, something the crypto community has taken advantage of to a relatively large degree. There are countless cryptocurrency, blockchain, and Web3-related blogs on Substack with millions of subscribed readers. As one Twitter user noted, 
Blocking interaction with posts from these authors featuring their work could have a chilling effect on free discourse. Well, of course it can. And I, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me one bit that Elon Musk would actually take these actions to block any kind of competition whatsoever. Why? Because you believe what you want about Elon Musk, but he might as well be a Rockefeller or whatever, and you know, competition is a sin. So I I expect that this is is an action taken directly by Twitter to squelch any amount of competition. What's odd though is that Twitter had their own blogging site for a little while, and then it was unceremoniously killed. Hell, even before I was booted off of Twitter for good this last time, I even had a page and I was kind of playing around with it. And it actually looked like it might do something. But alas, Elon Musk decided to, you know, put it to the torch. So whatever. But apparently the clown show at Twitter continues unabated. Now, boostograms. I only got a few. Fat Toshi with a striper boost says 700 he comes back to reply to his own says here's to episode 7000 one can only hope nick underscore dose with 3456 says cheers joseph joey joe i fucking love stacking sats he says that with 210 of them the wild hustle with 100 sats says love this show i love my listeners so there you go. That's it for the Boostergrams. Give me more, especially for this show. This is actually a milestone show for me. A lot of people said, oh, well, you should have had milestones at like 500. It should have been like a 456 or, you know, 212 or whatever. There was all these, a lot of people were saying, you know, here's a milestone, here's a milestone, here's a milestone. And I just, honestly, I, I, never, I just never felt it. But there's something about 700. That's, that's a lot of show. Uh, that's, you know, we're getting into four, four and a half years of Bitcoin and, and the growth has been, you know, really good. It hasn't been like explosive. It's been, it looks like I'm looking at the amount of listens and it looks organic. It looks like I didn't buy advertising. It looks like I, I don't know how to market. It's all you. I've, I have no advertising. I got no sponsors. I don't advertise except for when I, when I send the show out, like on Noster and I actually put a link, you know, links to it on LinkedIn and MeWe and, uh, over there on Mastodon, noagenda.social. But other than that, man, that's it. That's it. And I'm looking at graphs and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm like doubling every year which looks like what you would see in nature if you weren't artificially priming the pump or trying to get the card stacked in your favor. Like Doge. I don't want to be a shitcoin. Now, let's get into this one from Coindesk. U.S. Treasury warns that DeFi is used by North Korea and scammers to launder dirty money. Oh, look at the narrative going on here. Uh, this is written by who? Who wrote this thing? Oh, Sandali Handagama and Jesse Hamilton. Decentralized finance services that aren't compliant with anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules pose, quote, the most significant current illicit finance risk. 
in the corner of the crypto sector, according to the United States Department of the Treasury's first analysis of hazards from the technology. In an expected risk assessment published on Thursday, the Treasury Department said thieves, scammers, randomware, cyber criminals, and actors for the Democratic People's Republic of Korea are using DeFi to launder proceeds from crime. Oh, God, we need the superheroes. We need we need guys wearing capes to come save us. On the basis of its findings, the department recommends an assessment of possible enhancements to U.S. anti-money laundering requirements and the rules for countering the financing of terrorism, also known as CFT, as they should be applied to DeFi services. It also calls for input from the private sector to inform the next steps. Quote, Clearly, we can't do this alone, said Brian Nelson, Treasury's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, in a Thursday webcast hosted by ACAMS, a global organization focused on preventing financial crime. Quote, we call on the private sector to use the findings of the risk assessment to inform your own risk mitigation strategies. The 40-page report warns that, quote, DeFi services at present do not often implement AML CFT controls or other processes to identify customers, allowing layering of proceeds to take place instantaneously and pseudonymously, end quote. The report referenced several instances where DeFi projects have affirmatively touted a lack of AML CFT controls as one of the primary goals of decentralization. A footnote in the document cites Shapeshift's 2021 transformation to a decentralized exchange, quote, for the purpose of ceasing to collect customer information for AML CFT compliance. Quote, when these entities fail to register with the appropriate regulator, fail to establish and maintain sufficient AML CFT controls, or do not comply with sanctions, obligations, criminals are more likely to exploit their services successfully, including to circumvent United States and United Nations sanctions, the report said. Yeah, good luck with all that going forward, dude. Although the goal of the assessment is to identify the scope of an issue, the report recommends the United States government strengthen its AML CFT regulatory supervision and consider providing additional guidance for the private sector on compliance checks for DeFi services. The assessment furthers the work outlined in President Joe Biden's executive order on crypto from last year, and Nelson said it's the first of its kind in the world. Other jurisdictions, including the European Union, have also started looking at tackling money laundering risks associated with DeFi. Nelson noted that DeFi can often pose challenges in trying to figure out the individuals behind the business activities. But he pointed out it doesn't matter whether the services are centralized or decentralized when figuring out whether they're covered by the Bank Secrecy Act. He even said that those that claim full decentralization can really engage a wide range of activity that falls somewhere closer to traditional finance than they're suggesting. Quote, in some ways, they're really decentralized in name only. <gasps> really? <coughs> the narrative is getting thick, ladies and gentlemen, and it gets worse throughout the show, so just, you know, buckle up. But, you know, I've said it, I've said it on several occasions, this is one of the reasons that I do appreciate the existence of DeFi, the altcoins, the shitcoinery, because they act as ablative armor to Bitcoin. I don't know if you're a new listener, you may not know what that means, but ablative armor essentially is 
an armor coating around a subject that you wish to be defended, whether it's a tank, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's yourself. And when a projectile strikes a blade of armor, the armor itself explodes outward in the direction in which it was struck, thereby count, canceling the force of the incoming projectile. That's the way a blade of armor works, in, in theory, right? I, 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 there, from what I understand, there's a few tanks that have experimented with this kind of thing. I don't know if they've ever gone into production I'm not a big reader of Jane's, you know, military armament books, which is like sort of like the citizen's guide to what missiles do and what they're called and how they work and all that kind of stuff. Not a subscriber, so therefore I, I don't really know, but I do know the theory. And that, yeah, that's the theory is that a blade of armor protects by exploding in the direction of the projectile that was sent to destroy it. And that's what all the shit coinery does for Bitcoin. It wraps it in these multiple shells of a blade of armor so that once they get all the way through to the point where they might be able to pierce Bitcoin itself, they're kind of out of ammo. They're really tired. They've been fighting and fighting and fighting. And that's what that if if this crap exists for any reason whatsoever, this is the best reason for it to exist so that it keeps people going on wild goose chases, like in the regulatory community, so that they just spin their wheels. And I, I'm enjoying watching it happen. Doesn't mean that I don't think that there's not a credible threat to Bitcoin you know, directly. They may have, have a lot more energy and a lot more ammunition than I think, but there's a lot of shit coins. I mean, that's a lot of shit coins. Now, North Carolina following Texas, in being kind of stupid, North Carolina County pushes to halt Bitcoin mining, which is another blow to industry rattled by regulation. Bitcoin Magazine, you guessed it, BTC Casey. Buncombe County commissioners are pushing forward with a plan to impose a one-year pause on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining in the North Carolina County, citing concerns about its impact on the environment and the community, according to reporting by WLOS ABC 13. Currently, the county's ordinances do not define cryptocurrency mining as a specific use, prompting officials to consider a temporary halt on the activity while regulations are developed. Pausing to say this sounds more procedural than it does inflammatory or malicious. I'm just going to put that out there right now. So continuing on. A public hearing has been set for May the 2nd to discuss the proposed moratorium, providing the community with an opportunity to share their views on the issue. The surge in mining operations across America has raised concerns amongst cities about the environmental impact of the activity. A Texas state committee recently hosted a hearing in regards to legislation that would limit energy agreements used by Bitcoin miners, along with stopping favorable tax legislation. This legislation passed through the Senate committee, bringing it one step closer to reality. United States Bitcoin Corporation, a Bitcoin mining company operating in Niagara Falls, recently reached a tentative agreement with that city to resume operations after the facility was halted by a state Supreme Court judge's ruling. Along with fines and legal fees, the miner would be forced to comply with noise ordinances and other regulations designed 
to limit the facility's impact on its surrounding community. Okay, so that's the end of the article. So it's not the entire state of North Carolina. That's good news. It's just this one county that decides that they just don't want to have, I, I don't know, a future. Because, I mean, it's North Carolina, guys. Ain't exactly the richest state in the world. I'm, I'm just saying. And where this thing is, you know, where, where miners set up, it ain't in the middle of like Atlanta, Georgia or Houston, Texas. No, they're out they're out there in the sticks. Where you know, they're out more rural where people need jobs. Where towns are dying because people have been moving away from those cities and towns and villages and hamlets since the end of World War II. Going to drink some coffee here. Hold on. It's not you know, it's it's like they act like they don't need any anything to provide employment and things to do for a community that's been steadily dying. I'm I don't get the stupidity, but somehow or another, I I was reading this and a couple of other things, and I have this feeling that even though it looks like it's gaining strength, this ESG narrative actually looks to me like it's dying. There's something about some of the ways that some of the energy behind authors' writings is very much depleted in the last couple of months when it comes to the fear-mongering and the hyperventilation around the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. And of course, you're going to say, you you idiot, Did have you not seen Greenpeace? Yes, yes, I understand what's going on with Change the Code and Greenpeace. And as I said yesterday, when they actually decide to posit a pull request to the GitHub repository for Bitcoin Core with changes in the code, then I will find that an actual credible threat. Until then, it's just nothing but marketing. Marketing has its place. Marketing can be effective in some particular cases. In this particular case, I don't think it's very, it's, it's very, very effective at all. But mining is having still some yet some other problems SBI crypto sues riot blockchain owned data center for fraud and negligence decrypt.co tim hockey writes it bitcoin miner sbi crypto company or sbic is suing winstone us a data center based in rockdale texas for misrepresenting its readiness to host a large-scale mining operation and for millions of dollars in damages as a result of delays and substandard conditions. The charges SBI Crypto is pursuing against the data center include fraud, fraudulent inducement of contract, fraud by non-disclosure, negligent bailment, and breach of the hosting service agreement. That's not good. According to the lawsuit filed yesterday with the United States District Court, for the Western District of Texas Waco Division. Riot Blockchain acquired Winstone US for $11.8 million in common stock and $80 million in cash May 2021. Among the numerous misrepresentations SBIC maintains, Winstone did not conform to industry standards and the facility had frequently informed the miner that building permits, certifications, and power contracts were not needed for the facility to fulfill its end of the hosting service agreement. SBIC signed with the facility back in October of 2019, but the lack of documentation later become a became a stumbling block 
when it came to light in the months prior to operations beginning in June of 2020, the documentation was, in fact, required to turn on power. Under the initial agreement, Windstone assured the miner it had secured for commercial access up to one gigawatt of aggregated electricity that can be delivered to the data center, of which a portion of that may be incrementally offered to SBIC. SBIC alleges Windstone had not secured the gigawatt of electricity for its Rockdale facility and did not begin signing power contracts until just before operations began in the summer of 2020. They also claim that Windstone never fulfilled its promise to deliver 20,000 mining machines to the site, going from a fleet of 16,200 in September of 2020 or in September 2020, which is down to 14,600 in April of 2021. A representative of SBIC inspected the site in June of 2021, and when they opened one of the machines in front of Windstone co-founder and CIO Ashton Harris, they saw high levels of dust and corrosion buildup. During the same visit, it was allegedly observed that Windstone had provided other mining customers' equipment with dust filters, yet failed to do the same for SBIC's equipment, an omission made more egregious for the miner by the fact that on more than one occasion, Windstone confirmed that SBIC or con Windstone confirmed with SBIC that dust filters had been installed on SBIC's equipment. SBIC's lawsuit lists multiple other ways in which Windstone misrepresented the service. Decrypt reached out to all concerned, no response given. Okay, if this is true, then SBIC has a case and Winstone screwed up because you can't just go around telling people that you've got things in line when you don't have things in line. And if you get busted doing that, because this, not to say that this doesn't happen literally all the time, whether it's mining or car manufacturing or signing a contract to have pieces of plastic made so that you're going to put them into, you know, McDonald's Happy Meals. This, this is standard fare, right? It's when you get busted not being able to deliver, right? It's like studying the night before the big exam in college. Yeah, hope you perform well. You basically waited until zero hour to actually do the work. But there are some people that I know that could study the night before a test, have read no notes at all in a hard science like biology, and ace that sucker with flying colors. And if that's done, then it really doesn't matter. Looks to me like Windstone failed the test. SBI looks like they probably have a really good case against Windstone, which really sucks because that's going to just add fuel to the fire of that whole Texas Senate bill that just passed out of committee. Still needs to go to the Senate floor in Texas, and then it needs to go to the House of Representatives in Texas, and then it goes to the gov governor's desk. But that's the bill, and we'll talk about it a little bit later in the show. I do believe it's in the second half. Now, Du Quan, getting into other stupid people, Du Quan converted illicit funds from Luna to Bitcoin, South Korean prosecutors say Prashant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. South Korean prosecutors have identified 414.5 billion won or $314 million in illicit assets associated with Terraform Labs co-founder Du Quan and his associates 
Out of the identified illegal assets, prosecutors have linked about 91.4 billion won of the specified amount directly to Duquan. Although Quan amassed millions, none of the assets tied to him are recoverable or under the jurisdiction of the South Korean authorities. This is mainly because the now arrested former CEO reportedly converted most of his, of his illicit funds into Bitcoin using overseas crypto exchanges instead of investing in physical assets per a report published by local media outlet KBS. Early investigation into the terror collapse by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission revealed that Quan siphoned nearly $100 million worth of Bitcoin from Terra post-collapse. In another report based on the SEC interview with former Terraform Labs published in uh, South Korea media, Quan was accused of siphoning $80, millions a month, $80 million a month before the collapse of the Terra ecosystem. The South Korean authorities have requested Binance halt any withdrawal request associated with Duquan. Binance confirmed to Cointelegraph that they are cooperating with the prosecutors and offering any assistance that they need. Quote, we provided Korean law enforcement authorities with the requested assistance. Since we cannot comment on ongoing law enforcement investigations for any further comment, please reach out to the prosecutors, end quote. South Korean prosecutors are actively tracing properties associated with Terraform Lab executives to recover some illicit funds from the Terra debacle. And on April the 3rd, prosecutors seized homes and other assets to stop former Terra employees from selling things that might be tied to legal cases. In addition to the residence in Seoul owned by former CEO Shin Hwan Seong and others, the prosecutors filed foreclosure actions against the foreign registered vehicles, lands in Han Suang and Gyeongpyeong and Gyeongdo and Gyeongyeon in South Chungcheong province. Sorry, guys, I don't mean to sound like I'm being a racist, but there's no possible way that this dude can pronounce any of that. I just can't. It's not, not, it's not physically possible. Terra was a booming crypto ecosystem until its $40 billion collapse in May of 2022. What was initially thought to be a market-triggered event turned out to be a clear case of fraud with former CEO Quan at the epicenter. According to on-chain data, in the three weeks leading up to the DPEG of the Terra USD stablecoin, one entity dumped over $450 million of UST on the open market. Four days after the last sale, UST started collapsing. The entity behind the massive dump was none other than Terraform Labs. They scuttled their own ship, ladies and gentlemen. Despite an arrest warrant from South Korean authorities and an Interpol red notice against his name, Kwan continued to evade arrest for nearly a full year before getting caught on March the 23rd in Montenegro. Yeah, so there you go. There's the, the latest from the Du Kwan debacle. You know what? It just dawned on me while reading this. I think of Justin's son. He, he's got to be dirty somehow. And yet, and yet, he doesn't seem to be in any trouble whatsoever. He hasn't, I mean, the whole Tron ecosystem itself is still alive. It's still running. Yes, it's a shit coin. Yes, it's a shit chain. I get it. But it's still running. And he's not in jail. He may be somebody that we don't like, but... 
I guess he's apparently smart enough not to pull this kind of crap. You dumped $450 million of your own stablecoin for sale on the open market, and then it gets tied back to you. That, come on. I mean, what what surprises me the most is that we didn't, you know, we didn't immediately find out about that until, you know, later. Because that that kind of move seems like that would have thrown up a flag on that very day. But, you know, it it is what it is. But yeah, they scuttled their own ship, guys. These people, they don't care about you. They're they're just as bad as Western banking, Western governments. Actually, all governments. Let's not even pick on the West at this point. It's everybody. If you're in a government, you don't care about your citizenry. You've been somehow or another trained to not care about your citizenry. This is the iron law of bureaucracy all over the world. The bureaucracy ceases to care about its mission and becomes more interested in caring about its own existence and its own future. Last one up. <coughs> Chat GPT picks gold over Bitcoin, says crypto critic Peter Schiff. <laughs> really? You're gonna go for you're gonna go for gold. You're gonna go for Chat GPT. Wow. I don't think Peter Schiff knows how Chat GPT works. Let's get into it. It's written by Andrew Thorvalis from Decrypt.co. The ChatGPT artificial intelligence tool appears to have picked a side in the long-running debate over the respective worth of gold versus Bitcoin as a sound investment. Financial commentator Peter Schiff has praised the prominent generative text engine for reportedly favoring gold. Quote, AI is pretty intelligent after all. It didn't recommend any allocation to Bitcoin, he tweeted on Wednesday. The investor referenced a report from last week covering ChatGPT's idea of a recession-proof portfolio. The document published in Gold IRA Guide, oh my God, claimed that ChatGPT recommended a 20% allocation to gold and other precious metals to minimize the impact of any one market downturn. The rest of its hypothetical portfolio was comprised of bonds, at 40%, defensive stocks at 30%, and cash at 10%, absent any mention of Bitcoin. Yet, the AI's bot answer may not necessarily be a knock against crypto, nor a promotion of gold. When Decrypt directly asked on April the 6th for its opinion on gold or Bitcoin, ChatGPT said, the choice of which to buy ultimately depends on your investment goals. Quote, gold is a tangible asset that is considered a safe haven asset during times of economic uncertainty. Gold is a limited resource and is difficult and inexpensive to mine, which gives it a certain level of scarcity and intrinsic value, it stated. The bot contrasted the historic money with Bitcoin, which, quote, is not backed by any physical asset or government and is considered by many to be a speculative investment. Quote, Gold may be a better choice for those seeking a stable long-term investment, while Bitcoin may be more suitable for those looking for a high-risk, high-reward investment opportunity. It should also be noted that the corpus of knowledge, this is important, this is what Peter Schiff is missing, I think. It should be noted that the corpus of knowledge on which ChatGPT is based is current only through 2021 and likely does not include the significant movements both up and down that the price of Bitcoin has seen since. 
Both gold and Bitcoin investors are winning big this year, with each asset respectively up 10 and 68% year to date. The former just crossed a multi-year resistance level at 2,000 per ounce, which Schiff believes could now serve as a launch pad for a moonshot per a tweet on Thursday. Gold and Bitcoin are often compared as forms of money due to their strong monetary properties, particularly scarcity, which theoretically makes them resistant to inflation or monetary debasement like fiat currencies. Both assets surged in March after the Federal Reserve bailed out depositors to Silicon Valley Bank, injecting hundreds of billions of dollars back into the banking system to prevent similar bank failures. While Schiff takes the opportunity to double down on gold, an army of Twitter Bitcoiners continue to disapprove, including his own son. We haven't heard from that guy, Spencer, in quite a while. He says, quote, long-term Bitcoin is much better buy than gold. Bitcoin is likely to demonetize gold in the long term. Regarding short term, I have no idea. I'm not a trader. I just focus on the long term, Spencer Schiff said to decrypt via a DM. Okay, so here's what, here's the thing, going back up to this uh, one, where is it? I can't find it. What they were talking about was the fact that ChatGPT, any one of its forms, is trained through writing, having it read the writings of human beings over history. What has been the historical narrative? Gold. How long has gold been around? At least 5,000 years. I think it's probably more like 8,000, probably 10. I'm, I'm, I, I'm maybe completely wrong, but I think it's a lot longer than 5,000 years. How long has Bitcoin been around? 13, 14 years, you know? How much writing has been done about Bitcoin versus 5,000 years of writing about gold? How do you think the weighting is going to be in the algorithm of ChatGPT as it formulates questions comparative of gold and Bitcoin? It's going to be weighted to gold. The fact that Peter Schiff is making a victory lap because an inherently flawed chat GPT, because it is inherently flawed. How do I know? Do I know the algorithm? No, I don't. Am I computer science? No, 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 I'm not. Do I know how to code? No, no, I don't. This is much larger than what the algorithm is. This is much larger than the code. This is much larger than any of that. This is, it's inherently flawed because it's just not human. If you think that a non-human entity spouting shit about that which will affect humans or try to guide the way humans should think, if you think it's anything but inherently evil or at best misguided, then you're crazy. You're just fooling yourself. This whole AI thing is going to get people into deep, deep trouble in so many different ways, too numerous to count. It just is. And I don't need to know the algorithm. I don't need to know the code. I just need to know that, was it a human brain formulating the sentence, the paragraph, the argument, the rebuttal? 
If not, then I don't believe it. And I'm never going to. I will not, I have not listened to mainstream media news in years. I only listen to those people that I know are actually human. And I've been doing that since before the whole chat GPT revolution came about. Why? Because humans know better than machine learning algorithms because it's not artificial intelligence. It's machine learning. It's being the whole AI thing is completely disingenuous because AI does not exist, at least not yet. This is machine learning. And for Peter Schiff, somebody who is in command of that much money from so many other people, to use this as a pedestal to prove that he's right is kind of scary, honestly. Now, I don't hate gold. I don't hate precious metals. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that. I think Bitcoin is better because it's transportable. It's non-confiscatable. I can, I can trade value along digital lines. Try doing that with a Krugerrand. Try doing that with a Walking Liberty. You can't. You have to mail it physically because we don't have transporter technology yet. And that's honestly the amount of energy you're talking about to, dest- to destroy matter, convert it into electricity, keep its pattern, send it down a digital line and reconstitute it as a physical mass on the other end is more energy than your brain and mine is capable of fathoming. That's never going to happen. And if it does, just remember that what ends up on the other side is not what was actually on the other on the other, other side. It's different. Because the only way transport technology works is to completely deconstruct the mass, convert it into energy, and then reconstitute it on the other end. So the atoms that left are not the atoms that appeared on the other side. That's just fact. This one, Bitcoin, when I send a UTXO to purchase something, it's that UTXO. It didn't have to be converted from mass into electricity and then back again. It's the exact same thing. To me, that's more has a bit more efficacy as far as real value transfer is concerned. What is the most concerning about this, again, is Peter Schiff spending neural energy of his own to sit at a typewriter or a keyboard and actually hit the buttons that form sentences that say, see, even chat GPT agrees that gold is better than Bitcoin. It's kind of scary, guys. It's kind of scary. But let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. You got West Texas Intermediate down a fifth of a point to $80.46. Brent North Sea is down scant to $84.94. Natural gas doing its thing. It's down five and a half points to $2.03 per thousand cubic feet. It hasn't been this low since. Let's just look. Let me see if I can get this up. Internet's being weird, uh, has been being weird today. Load up, load up, load up, and we'll go to all. And it looks like the last time we were at this level was 
99-98. And then we almost touched it on the backside of 2001. We touched it again in uh, on December in 2011, again in 2015 in December, and then, wow, December 19th in 2020. It always seems to be around December. That's really odd. Okay, so we've hit this level before on several occasions, but not lately. Uh, last time it got down that low was, in fact, December of 2019, and then it got as high as... $6.77, which is odd because I, I'm pretty sure that that thing got up to $10.50 uh, sometime during the 2021-2022 uh, bull run in energy. But be that as it may, we've got other fish to fry because gasoline is down 0.61% to $2.80 a gallon. Metals are doing well except for gold. Uh, it's down half a point, but it's still at 2000 $23.70. Silver is up to $25.13 after a third of a point gain. Platinum is up almost a full point. Copper is up two thirds of a point. Palladium is up 2.79%. Um, most of the ag is up, except a lot of it's actually unchanged. Sugar is up, wow, 2.96%. Coffee is up two and a quarter. Cotton, cotton is up two and two thirds of a point. The only loser I can see is chocolate down half a point. Live cattle unchanged. It looks like there may be some problems with CNBC.com futures and commodities because livestock. Oh, shit is close today, isn't it? So I'm getting old. I'm getting old news. I forgot. It's good Friday for those of you who are not Christians. Um, the Christian faith is celebrating good Friday today. So markets are actually closed. However, some of these numbers may actually be like from, you know, other markets that do not respect the uh, Good Friday holiday. Uh, sorry about that. So that, that means that indices we're not going to do because they're not going to matter. However, they do show that they're in the green. So this may be futures prices. But like I said, we got the fish to fry. Bitcoin, which never stops trading, is down $27,918.72. Uh, 450,000 BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours. The average transaction value is 1.3 BTC. Median transaction value is 0 0.009 BTC or about 270 bucks. Block times are spot on, 10 minutes and four seconds. 0.2 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 29 and a third taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 6.69% jump in hash rate, we have a 362.63 exahash per second hash rate. And your shitcoin indicator Doge is, in fact, 8.2 United States pennies. A $529.1 billion market cap is 3.91% of gold's entire market cap. If you so choose, you may purchase 13.5% ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,339,630.7 of, and 5,409.7 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $148.8 million, being run over 16,359 nodes, sporting 40, nope, 74,444 payment channels, and 67.1% of all that's being run over Tor. And we have... Looks like a negative 1.3% difficulty adjustment coming in 
April the 20th. So I told you that yesterday, that minus 24 difficulty adjustment, yeah, that was never going to happen. So when it, when you hear high numbers like that for difficulty adjustment, look to see when the last difficulty adjustment was. And if you're inside of 24 hours, you're gonna get a really skewed number because not enough data has been collected for the average. Now, mempool.space looks like we're, yeah, we're looking at 119 blocks to clear, carrying somewhere upwards of around ah, 34,000 transactions. All transactions with fees attached at 2.02 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged out of a almost 500 megabyte mempool storage. And if you have a node or you're running a full node and you haven't adjusted your default, uh, your default mempool on your node, uh, you're still running at 300 megabytes. So uh, those pools, those mempools that are still at 300 megabytes uh, in size are purging all transactions of 2.02 Satoshis per V-byte. Nine Satoshis per V-byte is the low priority transaction fee. High priority is 17 Satoshis per V-byte. That is 67 cents that you'll pay per one SegWit transaction that doesn't display any funny business. That's the weather. All right, settle down, settle down. It's part two of the news that you can use. We're going to start with the war drums. Now, this is from going to be from Foreign Affairs, which is a highly respected, well-read publication that most of your world leaders, policymakers, regulators, are going to read there. I mean, they, they already, they, they do read the publication. This thing's been, been around for years. They've got the narrative. Now this is going to hurt your head. Okay. But you need to know, this is why I listen to NPR. People are like going, I can't believe you listen to that. I'm like, yeah, I absolutely do listen to NPR. Why? Because it tells me what the talking points of the day are going to be for that, which we consider Enemies of the state. Foreign affairs is no different. And it's titled The Case for Banning Crypto by Hillary Allen, again from foreignaffairs.com. On November the 11th, 2022, the cryptocurrency exchange FTX collapsed nine days after a copy of the balance sheet of its affiliated hedge fund Alameda Research was leaked by CZ, I might add. Once it was revealed that Alameda and FTX were significantly intertwined and that FTX was suffering from serious liquidity shortages, the exchange's customers rushed to withdraw their funds. Many found that they could not do so. <laughs> God, you think? Oh, I'm, I'm actually taking some time to uh, uh, make this a little bit bigger for me because it's written in very small text. Okay. Behind the scenes... Alameda had been hemorrhaging money on bad trades and using FTX customer funds to cover those losses. Sam Bankman-Fried resigned as CEO and FTX filed for bankruptcy. A month later, he was arrested. Bankman-Fried fa faces 13 criminal counts ranging from fraud to foreign bribery. 
The implosion of FTX was the most spectacular in a series of cryptocurrency industry collapses that started in the spring of 2022. Modern cryptocurrencies emerged in, 29, in 2009 with the launch of Bitcoin, the first consequential virtual currency to rely on blockchain technology. Blockchains are essentially databases. Yeah, we'll, I don't want to have you fight through your bullshit here. Hold on. The consensus mechanism varies, however. Most common, the most common two are proof of work as used by Bitcoin and proof of stake as used by Ethereum. Proof of work relies on people known as miners who validate transactions. Proof of stake selects validators from a pool of people who own the relevant cryptocurrency. In both cases, chosen validators are compensated for their work, and although the validator could theoretically be anyone, in reality, economic incentives have led to extremely concentrated pools of validators. <laughs> With the very public disintegration of FTX, simmering questions about the sustainability of cryptocurrency industry have come to a boil. Other cryptocurrency companies and industry associations have tried to dispel investor fears and dissuade regulatory authorities from cracking down, insisting that FTX was just one bad apple. But FTX's unraveling was not an isolated incident. Rather, it revealed fundamental flaws in the cryptocurrency industry. The root of the problem is that cryptocurrency assets can be created at no cost and without limit and an unlimited supply of assets makes a system more vulnerable to booms and busts. When assets have nothing behind them, no reliable financial accounting practices or valuation techniques exist to expose the fraudulent manipulation of those assets. The result is that fraudsters have rushed into cryptocurrency, exploiting the complexity and hype to dupe the unwary. As Bankman-Fried awaits trial, U.S. policymakers need to limit the harms associated with cryptocurrency technologies and business models. At the very least, they should not loosen existing laws in the name of fostering cryptocurrency innovation. But they should also consider a more serious measure, banning cryptocurrency assets outright. It's hard to get through. Cryptocurrencies already facilitate many different kinds of harm. Pariah states, including Iran and North Korea, use cryptocurrencies and the anonymity that they grant to evade sanctions and launder money. In 2022, for example, Pyongyang reportedly stole $1.7 billion in cryptocurrency, which it believed to be using to fund ballistic missile and nuclear weapon development. Jesus Christ. The cryptocurrency, cryptocurrencies, particularly Bitcoin, have become the most common form of payment for the ransomware attacks increasingly targeting businesses and public sector services because it allows the nefarious actors behind these attacks to receive large amounts of money quickly and anonymously. Cryptocurrencies are also increasingly being used to facilitate drug and human trafficking and the anonymity that they grant users inhibits law enforcement officers. Oh, if allowed to proceed unchecked, the unrestricted growth of the cryptocurrency industry and its future integration with the TradFi system could produce a major crisis. Blockchain-based finance is complex, automated, and highly interconnected, and it offers vast opportunities for creating leverage because there is a virtually unlimited supply of assets to borrow against. These are the kinds of fragilities that led to the last financial crisis in 2008. Oh, oh my.
I'm going to highlight this and pause because I need to go back up to the top. Hold on. Yes. It's important to note the date of this article. This was written two days ago. I guess Hillary hasn't been watching the news. I'll just say it that way. Continuing. This damaged trust in the TradFi system and the cryptocurrency industry wandered into the wreckage, promoting itself as a reliable alternative to banks. Despite the industry's claims, most of those who invested in cryptocurrency have lost money. Those already disillusioned with traditional finance are likely to become even more cynical after their cryptocurrency losses. And this cynicism may have further consequences. As the professor David Columbia, author of The Politics of Bitcoin, has argued, much of the conversation regarding cryptocurrency draws on right-wing rhetoric about the evils of government. There is a danger that members of cryptocurrency communities embittered by their losses may be funneled into extreme online communities. Cryptocurrencies also come with the environmental cost. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency assets relying on proof-of-work blockchains require miners to run computers that consume enormous amounts of electricity. Powering these computers has sometimes required as much energy as that consumed by the entirety of the Netherlands, a country of some 17 million people. In addition to the emissions that result, the mining burns through computer equipment relatively quickly, contributing to electronic waste and the global semiconductor chip shortage. Given the many problems with cryptocurrency, it seems foolhardy to allow the industry to continue as it is unless it can be shown to have demonstrable benefits. But it is hard to identify any upsides. Industry leaders and lobbyists tend to argue that the primary benefit of cryptocurrency is its decentralization. Given the sometimes dubious track record of tra traditional financial institutions, the prospect of a truly decentralized system which does not require the use or trust of intermediaries is certainly an appealing one. Unfortunately, that prospect is unrealistic. Decentralizing the technology does not guarantee that the actual control of that technology will remain decentralized. Rather, economic incentives have led to extremely concentrated pools of transaction validators, leaving users dependent on these small groups of people. Furthermore, blockchains are software and users depend on the people programming the software. People who may have conflicts of interest or may make mistakes when programming. Yeah, sure. Software is never flawless. It degrades over time, and hackers are always seeking to exploit its vulnerabilities. This means that software must be constantly maintained, again, often by a select group of people. To take one example, recent reporting in the Wall Street Journal, yes, we trust them, revealed that there are currently just five people who can approve proposed changes to Bitcoin's Bitcoin Core blockchain software. Some of the applications built on the blockchain are administered in a decentralized way, but decision-making still tends to lie in the hands of a very small group of users. It's a far cry from the claims of decentralization that come from cryptocurrency enthusiasts and advocates. In sum, the best that the cryptocurrency industry can offer is a version of the TradFi system that remains economically centralized, but has more vulnerabilities because of its attempts at technological decentralization. Because blockchain-based finance is so complex, it is inherently fragile. The collapses that began in 2022 were not outliers 
but symptoms of systemic problems in the cryptocurrency industry. Policymakers who recognize that blockchain's technology's harm outweighs its benefit might believe that state intervention is justified, but wonder if it's even possible. Misleading rhetoric around cryptocurrency's decentralization is used to persuade regulators that the software, software is calling the shots, implying that there are no business entities or humans to regulate. But the reality is that regulation can be applied to many different intermediaries that are critical to cryptocurrency operations. For example, traditional business entities operate the central exchanges that serve as gateways to the cryptocurrency markets, pausing to say she's getting into on and off ramps. Okay, this is this is you know part one of the of the chicanery going on here. If Congress were to pass legislation banning them from listing cryptocurrency assets, the cryptocurrency market would quickly fade. Yeah, right. Alternative decentralized exchanges do exist, but a ban could be enforced against them too because control of those exchanges tend to be concentrated in the hands of a few people. Opponents of a cryptocurrency ban often allege that you know, such an action would limit future useful blockchain innovations. There's little to fear here, however. Most or many of the most hyped innovations, including central bank digital currencies, do not require a blockchain at all. Blockchain technology itself has extremely limited utility. The consensus mechanism that make blockchains work are inherently less efficient and more costly than centralized alternatives. They have to be or else it would be too easy for a bad actor to take over. Indeed, in 2022, over 1,500 technology experts signed a letter to United States congressional leaders stating that, by its very design, blockchain technology is poorly suited for just about every purpose currently touted as a present or potential source of public benefit. End quote. If policymakers are still reluctant to adopt an outright ban, then the second best alternative is to stringently enforce regulations that are already in place. Banking regulators should use existing prudential rules to keep banks from being exposed to the risks of cryptocurrency assets, and securities regulators should enforce existing rules to protect retail investors from unregistered cryptocurrency offerings and fraud. Fortunately, in the wake of FTX's failure, both the banking regulators and the United States Securities and Exchange Commission have redoubled their efforts to rein in the cryptocurrency industry, making it clear that regulation has been possible all along. Although there are legislative improvements that could strengthen banking and securities regulation, the bespoke cryptocurrency bills that have been so far introduced into Congress are inadequate. With provisions designed to limit the SEC's jurisdiction over the cryptocurrency industry and bring some types of cryptocurrency assets into the heart of the banking system, these bills are designed to legitimize and accommodate cryptocurrency, to allow it to attract funding from institutional investors and otherwise integrate with the traditional financial system. They would not protect the economy and the public from cryptocurrency, but rather remake the law in cryptocurrency's favor. Cryptocurrency, despite its proponents' arguments to the contrary, can be regulated, but steps to do so will be subject to the long-standing and well-known problem of geographical arbitrage. If the United States cracks down, it's possible that cryptocurrency might migrate elsewhere. 
But because the global cryptocurrency industry relies heavily on funding from United States venture capital firms, it remains an open question whether the industry could survive without that funding. <laughs> Jesus. Some have expressed concerns about the United States losing its edge as a global leader in cryptocurrency innovation, but it's undesirable to be a leader in an innovation this harmful. A greater concern is the development of an offshore cryptocurrency industry which could cause harms that spill over into the United States. Similar concerns about spillovers from traditional financial activities have driven international efforts to agree to global standards of financial regulation, most notably on bank capital requirements. International bodies such as the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, the Financial Stability Board, and the International Organization of Securities Commission. She's just listing them all, ma'am. They're already working to coordinate approaches to cryptocurrency regulations. The United States should continue to take part in these efforts to limit the damage cryptocurrency might do at the global level, but there is no reason to delay in cracking down on cryptocurrency at home. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to delay in cracking down on cryptocurrency at home. Who is this chick? Who is this woman? Hillary Allen. Let's see. Uh, let's see. She has four stories here from uh, all from looks looks to be. No, she's got more than that. Never mind. I, I forgot. I'm reading from archive.ph because uh, Foreign Affairs wanted me to uh, subscribe and I said no. So I stole their shit. Piss off, Foreign Affairs. If you're not going to get with the program and give me a QR code that will unlock this thing for a dollar in Satoshis, then I'm not playing your game. And I don't care. I just don't. Oh, it's theft, David. It's theft of intellectual property. I don't care. Not in this case. I'm not paying to read this drivel. But this is the narrative that's going on. She's captured not only the old narratives but has added the new narratives into a sheaf of paper that would more aptly be used to start the charcoal on my grill when I start barbecuing whenever it is that I get a backyard again. That's what this is worth. However, the reason that I go through the exercise of reading this incessant drivel is because this is the narrative and it's starting to reach up into publications like Foreign Affairs. Foreign Affairs is not to be taken lightly simply because of the reach of its readership and the type of its readership. Senators, representatives, Supreme Court justices, the CFR, the IMF, the WEF, OFAC, Gary Gensler, the CFTC, European bank guys, you know, whatever, like Queen Ursula over there at the ECB uh, or at the, in the European Union, that fake tan woman that got convicted of fraud in a French court that is doing the IMF, they all read this. Okay, you, you need to understand that. This is not like popular science. If it had been in popular science, I wouldn't have read it. If this had been in Time Magazine, I wouldn't have cared. This is in foreign affairs, not to be taken lightly. So what we're seeing is the narrative start getting pushed up. 
into higher and higher echelons of that which seeks to destroy the world. Sorry, that's the way it is. I mean, I'm, and I'm not even going to wear a tinfoil hat on that. It's clear to me that these people don't give a crap about anybody that is quote unquote beneath them. This is royalty 2.0 and they're all friends. They're all in this big club and you ain't in it. Neither am I. And honestly, I would have no part of being in this club. I would, if they inducted me into the club of the, you know, foreign council, whatever the F, F, what it was a foreign uh, council of foreign relations, the CFR invited me to dinner and said, Hey, you're going to be our big pal. Wouldn't go. Even if it included tickets, you know, ski lift tickets in Davos, wouldn't go. These people are the kind of people that I, I just, I wouldn't want to be around. Now I'm going to pause for a second. I'll be right back. All right. I tried, I wanted to do a little bit of background research uh, on Hillary Allen. Um, and guess what? There's no Wikipedia page for her. There's almost a, if anybody has anything to do with, with like, you know, I don't know, government entities, I, there's there's people in Wikipedia with full biographies that I've never even heard of before that have not movie stars, not singers, not songwriters, you know, just government, in, you know, like, I mean, council women and, and men on city councils have Wikipedia entries. This woman's got nothing. But I did find her CV, her curriculum vitae, and she is right now at American University, Washington College of Law. She's been there since 2021. Before that, she was at Suffolk University Law School. Before that, she was at Loyola University in New Orleans College of Law. And she's had visiting professorships at the University of Sydney, UC Davis School of Law, and the Brooklyn Law School. She was educated at Georgetown University Law Center. She also studied at the University of Sydney. Before that, she was at Duke. Her professional experience is such. Sherman and Sterling LLP is a law firm that she worked at. Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, Washington, D.C. Blake, Dawson, Waldron, and now, which is now Ashurst in Sydney, Australia, and Clifford Chance in London. Now, when you go through the rest of her curriculum vitae, she literally looks like a poster child for somebody at Council of Foreign Relations, but CFR is not mentioned anywhere in her curriculum vitae, nor an IMF is only mentioned once. But this woman is very connected to that which seeks to destroy the world, honestly. I mean, it's just... I know it's hype. It's, it sounds hyperbolic, but when I read that piece and I look at her curriculum vitae, she's, I mean, she's a Washington insider. She is literally a mouthpiece for the people that have everything to lose. We're not only in the, then they fight you phase. We are firmly now ankle, if not knee deep in the, then they fight you phase. We will get up to our necks in the then they fight you phase. If you don't have the stomach for what comes next, I, I have no solace for you. I, I have no words that will make you feel better. I don't. But this shit's serious. Once this crap got up into foreign affairs, 
it just became more serious than it's ever been before, which is why I need Texas to stop being stupid. Come on, Texas, stop doing it. Let's, let's do a rundown reminder here. This is from Decrypt. I read it yesterday, so I'm not going to read it again, but I want to remind you where, where we're going. Is Texas still very open for business for Bitcoin mining? And this entire story was about this Senate bill that passed out of committee that seeks to decouple any incentives from Bitcoin miners in stabilizing the Texas grid via ERCOT. And if I can get the name of the uh, bill, let's see if I can find the bill number. SB 1751 is a concerted effort by established industry groups in the ERCOT marketplace to tilt the playing field in their favor because they cannot compete with Bitcoin miners when it comes to load flexibility. Yesterday, I asked the question and you answered. You answered. The question was, who? Who are these people and what is it that they're trying to offer? And I got my answer. And my answer comes from Quiet Warrior on Noster. That is his uh, handle is QW. You can, if you're, if you're on Noster and if you're not, you need to be on Noster because this is where everybody is, is piling into now. You need to grab your namespace and you need to look for at QW. I'd tell you his NPUB name or NPUB, uh, his public key, but honestly, those things are too long and you're not going to write it down and you would need to. So However you want to do it, whatever Noster client you want to use, there are several. Search for at QW. That's my friend, Quiet Warrior, who sent me this one. And it's, uh, it's actually a DallasNews.com article. And let me make sure that I've got it up so I can read it. I do, but I had to go to archive. Was it archive.ph? Yeah, archive.ph to go get this one because Dallas Morning News, like everybody else in mainstream media, is far behind the times. They want a subscription. I'm not doing it. If you want me to pay for the article, then you need to provide me a payment platform that I will accept. Otherwise, I'm putting your shit into archive.ph and I'm going to lift your goddamn words out from right underneath you because I have literally that little respect for you. Because the Dallas Morning News is nothing but another mouthpiece for those who seek to subdue us. Now, he says, and I'm talking about Quiet Warrior here. He says, I believe the Texas grid support that BTC Mining was offering ran contrary to this. And then he gives me the Dallas Morning News article, which I had to go and put into archive.ph. That article He's telling me that what he's telling me is that this is why what we're about to read is exactly what the hell's going on with who is sponsoring 1751 and why they stand to lose a 10 billion. That's billion with a B a $10 billion natural gas backup power plan advances in the Texas Senate. Now this story was written when April the 3rd, 2023. That was like, what, four days ago. So four days ago, this same thing is being talked about on the Senate. And guess what passed out of Senate committee in Texas? 
was a bill to kill the relationship between ERCOT and Bitcoin mining. $10 billion natural gas backup power plan. Let's get into it. Find out the particulars. Philip Jankowski is writing it for Dallas Morning News. A $10 billion fleet of natural gas power plants for emergency use moved forward Monday in the Texas Senate. The proposal is the centerpiece of a package aimed at shoring up the resiliency of Texas's power grid since the 2021 deadly winter storm and could dramatically change how electricity is bought and sold. The legislation could come up for a full vote as early as Thursday, said its author, Senator Charles Schwertner, a Republican from Georgetown. <coughs> the bill was voted out of committee Monday, despite some reservations from Democrats who believe it amounts to re-regulation of Texas's laissez-faire electricity market. Senate Republicans and the chamber's president, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, have placed a premium on passing legislation that would build natural gas power plants. The slate of bills by Schwertner and Senator Phil King from Weatherford, Texas, aim to do that while also undermining booming investment in renewable energy in Texas. Quote, this is not a single shot fix to what we need to do as a state, but I think that the package in totality answers the concerns of the people in Texas, says Schwertner. While regulators in Texas power of Texas's power grid have sought to encourage power companies to build new natural gas-fueled power plants in the state through tweaks to the marketplace would favor those generators, the legislation, Senate Bill 6, is a far more blunt approach. It resembles a failed 2021 pitch from billionaire mega-investor Warren Buffett, and Schwertner supported that. This year's SB6 would use taxpayer money or increases to Texas power bills to fund the construction of natural gas power plants capable of generating 10,000 megawatts of electricity, enough electricity to power as many as 7.5 million homes. However, those generators would be paid to remain offline, operating as a break in case of emergency. That's a bad bad sentence. I'm just going to go through it again. However, those generators would be paid to remain offline, operating as a, quote, break in case of emergency, end quote, fashion that would only be called online when the state faces possible blackouts. Jesus, that's it's right there. That's the reason. That's the reason they're going to be paid to not generate power and only come online in case we need it. That's what Bitcoin, that's That's it right there. They want their paycheck for not doing anything. And Bitcoin mining stands firmly in the way. Continuing, a representative from Warren Buffett's business conglomerate Berkshire Hathaway was the one of the few to testify in support of the bill at a recent hearing. Critics of the proposal say it would actually undermine private investment in natural gas power plants and marks the end of Texas's energy-only market, a design that only pays companies when they produce electricity. Quote, I mean, not quote, the vote to advance the bill to the full Senate was eight to zero to three dissenting. So I guess that eight was four, uh, zero, uh, uh, there was nobody that didn't vote and three voted not to do it. With the Senate Business and Commerce Committee's three Democrats voting present. Oh, okay. So three was voting present. Okay. 
Dallas Senator Nathan Johnson, a Democrat, said he was concerned about how to preserve Texas's competitive energy market with a backup power plant system of that proposed size. Quote, it ought to be brought back considerably in size and work in conjunction with other elements, Johnson said. It seems to wag the whole system at this size, end quote. The committee also unanimously approved two other measures that are elements of the total energy package of nine bills. Some of those bills contain provisions that would tie renewable energy investment to natural gas and purposely leave emerging battery storage technology, industrial scale batteries that can stockpile and feed large amounts of electricity to the grid out of contention for state supported market designs. Those designs would favor dispatchable power generators that can provide power at the flip of a switch. Quote, I worry that some of the bills come across as anti-renewable, said Senator Judith Zaffarini, a Democrat from Laredo. Quote, and so we want to make sure that we have the dispatchable energy that we have, but not necessarily hurt, you know, not punish renewables, end quote. So there's the reason. That's the reason Senate Bill, what was it, 1571, got passed. It's Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, putting their hands into the business of the state of Texas. They want to, they have this huge contract, if this thing passes, of $10 billion. $10 billion to build all these natural gas-fired power plants around Texas. And what's funny is that it also seeks to harm renewables. Texas produces a lot of electricity from wind. Not as much from solar, but we, you know, Texas does have some solar, but mostly it's wind. If you've ever been out and driven from like Lubbock to Austin, almost the entire panhandle and everything that is would be considered west of the hill country of Texas is littered in massive wind farms. We're talking tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of windmills, they're all over the place. So what happens? Because Bitcoin already has this whole renewable architecture. It, we have our own narrative about that. We, we keep trying to say, look, we're using hydropower. We're using wind power. We're able to put miners down where nobody else can put down to support the building of these renewable assets. And then when you guys have all your shit paid back and you want to start building power lines from these, you know, brand new assets to where you can give it to people, we can pick our stuff up and move it to someplace else. No, that goes against the legacy financial thinking that Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, Hathaway has been steeped in for decades and decades. So a big hats off to Quiet Warrior for helping to associate produce this episode of Bitcoin. And yes, I'm stealing it from Adam Curry and the No Agenda podcast. Uh, that's sort of what they do over there at No Agenda. They have a whole bunch of boots on the ground that when they ask a question, if they don't know something, they have producers, which are basically their listeners, that say, hey, I know why. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the Dallas Morning News piece on it. Quiet Warrior, thank you. I mean, I, I interact with you all the time on Noster, but this one, 
dude, you knocked it out of the park. I cannot thank you enough. I'm going to be zapping you some Satoshis for being a, an associate producer for me today. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Now, um, we're not going to do that one. We are, however, going to do this one because I forgot to bring it to you. And yeah, it may not matter all that much, but I do find it funny that hidden inside Mac OS, the Bitcoin white paper resides. Out of Coindesk, Sam Reynolds tells us more about what we've all heard about. Someone has hidden the Bitcoin white paper inside of every copy of Mac OS shipped since 2017. Back in April of 2021, a user by the name of Burned178 uh, on the Mac OS community forums noticed that buried within the image capture utility is a function called Virtual Scanner 2, which is not enabled by default. Hidden within Virtual Scanner 2 is a nondescript image of a bay in San Francisco and a PDF copy of the Bitcoin white paper. Quote, weirdly, there is also a PDF of the original Bitcoin white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto in the virtual scanner.app package content burned 178 wrote, quote, I find it hard to believe anyone cares, added a user named Barney15E in response to the post. Recently, this was rediscovered by blogger Andy Bio, or Bao, I can't pronounce his name, and published on his blog Waxy. Bao noted that you can open a copy of the white paper by entering the following commands into the terminal app. Open system library image capture devices, virtual scanner.app, contents resources, and simple doc.pdf. And there's clearly a bunch of forward slashes. Anyway, quote, of all the documents in the world, why was the Bitcoin white paper chosen? Is there a secret Bitcoin maximalist working at Apple? The file name is simple doc. .pdf, and it's only 184 kilobytes, writes Bao on Waxy. Quote, maybe it was just convenient, lightweight, multi-page PDF for testing purposes, never meant to be seen by end users. There's also another angle to the note. Craig Wright has been attempting to copyright the Bitcoin white paper and has been suing, albeit unsuccessfully, places that host it. This may have been an internal act of defiance by a coder working at Apple, a company too big for Wright to sue. In February of 2023, Wright lost a copyright claim in a UK court regarding that white paper. Quote, I do not see any prospect of the law as currently stated and understood in the case law allowing copyright pr protection of subject matter, which is not expressed or fixed anywhere. Judge James Meller said at the time in the ruling, for the High Court of England and Wales. Quote, it remains the case that no relevant work has been identified containing contents which defines the structure of the Bitcoin file format, end quote. It will likely be a mystery as to why this PDF was included, though many will be checking to see if it's in Mac OS 14, which is expected to launch later this year. It will also be interesting to see if Apple makes note of this and removes it via its regular cadence of patches, patches pushed out to Mac OS users. Apple did not respond to a request for comment. Of course they didn't. They're not going to. They will probably remove the paper. However, since this paper has been embedded in the operating system since 2017, somebody has suggested, again, on Noster, if you're not on Noster, get on Noster, that if Craig Wright does not sue Apple, then he is will 
then he can be seen by any court in the world as not defending his copyright. He claims to have a copyright on the Bitcoin white paper. He actually got a copyright from the copyright office, but it doesn't hold any water. But still, do you think they've got, and when I say they, I mean uh, Calvin Ayer and Craig Wright, do you think they have any money left, much less enough left over to go up against Apple? And if they don't, that's precedent. And anybody after that time that gets sued by Craig Wright, all they have to do is say, where is Craig Wright's lawsuit against Apple? And the, what, six years? Six years that Apple has been quote unquote violating the copyright? You know, now, Craig didn't get this copyrighted until just a couple of years ago, but still the point remains the same. If he's not going to sue Apple, and if he did, Apple would probably crush him. Although there's a chance that Apple might say, yeah, sure, fine, we'll just remove it. But they can't remove it from all the other operating systems. You'd have to bring, you'd actually have to push out a patch and everybody would actually have to accept that patch. I'm not exactly sure if you have the choice to accept the patch from Apple or not, but there it is. You know, I'm just, it just seems to me that this, especially if Apple does nothing and continues to host the white paper in their, in their Mac OS stuff, and Craig Wright does not sue, then Craig Wright will be seen as not defending the copyright he purports to hold on the Bitcoin white paper. And anybody else that gets sued by Craig Wright for copyright infringement on the Bitcoin white paper because they're hosting it, will be able to send a letter to the judge in question that they're getting sued by and say, where's his lawsuit against Apple? If there's no lawsuit against Apple, then he has determined that it is not worth defending the copyright. Therefore, copyright is now null and void. That'll be interesting to see. That's the only reason I bring you this story because otherwise, who cares? The white paper is hosted on my node. My, my node BTC has the white paper on it. It's actually a whole, it's just a button I can click and go look at the white paper if I want to. This, you know, from that standpoint, it means nothing. But from Craig Wright's standpoint, legally defending the copyright, I kind of think it means everything. But, you know, that is what that is. Now, ordinals, we've got some more. Got to know what's going on out there, guys. Magic Eden announces Ordinal's launchpad for Bitcoin inscription collections. This is BTC Casey, BTC Magazine. Magic Eden, an NFT platform, has announced the opening of a launchpad to inscribe collections using the Ordinal's protocol on Bitcoin. This comes shortly after the platform's launch of an Ordinal's marketplace, which has helped Magic Eden become the top marketplace for trading Bitcoin inscriptions. The press release describes the company's goal of offering a safe and secure platform for creators to launch their collections with the first collection launch scheduled for April the 7th, 2023, according to the release. The platform has already served over 500 creators and raised over $150 million on their behalf. Zhou Jun Yin, COO and co-founder of Magic Eden, commented on the announcement, quote, we're excited to expand our creator capabilities to Bitcoin and offer easy ways for creators to get hosed, I mean started, and launch with ordinals, content, 
that can be preserved forever. And we're proud, 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 proud to be helping creators and the Ordinals community grow together. Put a tie on that suit speak. Magic Eden's move to provide creators with a launch pad for Bitcoin inscriptions comes at a time when Bitcoin inscriptions have seen a significant uptick in popularity throughout the first quarter of this year, as the press release describes. The Ordinals protocol allows users to insert arbitrary data onto specific UTXOs, effectively enabling immutable NFTs built directly into the Bitcoin blockchain. Since the launch of the protocol, its impacts have been debated. That being said, almost 1 million pieces of data have been inscribed onto the blockchain already as the time of, at the time of writing, and there are no signs of that stopping. So it's not going to stop. It's just not. It's not going to stop. And you know what's probably else is not going to stop? BitBoy. This dude, I swear, I don't... See, this is what I don't understand. This guy gets... He's so well-funded by the people that listen to him that it's it's just frightening. You know, meanwhile, the rest of us that are actually trying to do good and not hype bullshit and not get you in trouble... We don't get anything. It's people like BitBoy that get praised with being able to make a living on what it is that they do. And he does nothing but hype shit coinery that have gotten people hosed and hosed and hosed again. Yet there seems to be no limit to the amount of those people that exist that will give him money. Now, this is not an admonishment of anybody listening to this this is a practical fact that I see before my eyes because BitBoy Crypto is not the only guy that does this. Most of the influencers that somehow or another are very successful in, in getting money from the people that find their content valuable and useful, you know, there's so many of them and they all do the same thing, whether it's in crypto or outside of crypto. Here, try this anti-aging cream. It worked for me and they're well-funded, you know, but the anti-aging cream doesn't do shit. It's like baby powder mixed with mineral wax or something like that. Who gives a shit? It's stupid. But the FBI, uh, he, they may get involved. Uh, let's find out from Kate Irwin out of Decrypt. Lawyer says he's called the FBI on BitBoy over threatening emails, calls, and tweets. Lawyer Adam Moskowitz says he feels threatened by influencer Ben BitBoy Armstrong, and he's contacted the FBI and local police because he's concerned for his and his family's safety. Moskowitz told Decrypt in an interview that the threats came rolling in after his law firm filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of its clients against a number of influencers, one of which is Ben Armstrong. He did this back in March. Moskowitz clients are seeking over $1 billion in damages and allege that Armstrong and others promoted the sale of unregistered securities due to their paid sponsorships with the now defunct crypto exchange FTX. Quote, my family and I have never been threatened before this, whether in a court of law or outside a court of law. So I take this very seriously. I've informed the FBI and I've informed our local Pinecrest police, Moskowitz told Decrypt, referring to the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation and the police department in his area of 
Pinecrest, Florida, quote, I do fear for what may happen and what, if even worse, maybe one of his followers may do, the attorney said. If they want to follow one of these influencers, obviously they have influence over people and we see all the time how people can incite violence through the internet. The FBI and Pinecrest police have not yet responded to requests for comments. Armstrong has for weeks publicly harassed Moskowitz, sharing screenshots of emails the influencer has sent, the lawyer in which Armstrong refers to Moskowitz as a pussy and a bitch. According to a court filing Wednesday in the United States District Court of Miami, uh, of the Southern District uh, of Miami, or of Florida, Armstrong has left voicemails with Moskowitz Law that are full of vulgarities, including one where Armstrong states, quote, we're going to have First Amendment protesters around your house 24-7, out, 24/7 day and night. The filing also states that Armstrong left another message claiming that the home address of Moskowitz and his colleagues are being circulated on Reddit. In response to questions about Moskowitz's claims, Armstrong told Decrypt that he doesn't plan to change tack. Quote, the whole thing is stupid, and I'm not going to lit up on him, he said via DM. He's not a victim. He's the perpetrator in this lawsuit. He's scared of my followers. He should be scared of what I'm going to do to him in court, he said. The influencer previously told Decrypt that he planned to vigorously defend himself against the lawsuit. Quote, I've never spoken with anyone at FTX or as a marketing agent acting on their behalf. Not once, he told Decrypt. So the allegations against me are 100% false and it will be extremely easy to provide evidence of this. End quote. Armstrong reiterated today that he never did any paid promotion for FTX and claims he warned his followers about the exchange two months before its collapse. Quote, by the time this is over, people are going to realize I should have won a medal for saving people from FTX, he said. Moskowitz said that the behavior from the other influencers in the lawsuit compared to Armstrong has been night and day. Quote, I have filed thousands of class action lawsuits over the past 30 years, he said. I've never had a defendant act anywhere near Mr. Armstrong's conduct. None of the other influencers have said a word to us, he added. Wednesday's court filing also claims that Armstrong evaded being served legal papers while continuing to make daily violent threats towards undersigned counsel and plaintiffs. Armstrong countered the evasion claims with a tweet arguing that the legal summons were initially sent to an incorrect address in Arizona while Armstrong and his offices are based in Georgia. Wednesday morning, the Moskowitz law firm included a link to a video that it said is proof of Armstrong finally accepting service of the lawsuit, and the video ensues. The filing also references a number of Armstrong's tweets where he calls Moskowitz dumb and counters that the unregistered securities named in the lawsuit are referred to as commodities by the United States Commodities and Futures Trading Commission. The filing also cites an email Armstrong sent to the law firm in which he calls the law firm's employees dumb motherfucking cunts, and he says he is coming for all your fucking licenses. End quote. Good Lord. Earlier this week, Armstrong tweeted multiple times about Moskowitz and his law firm associates to his one million Twitter followers, including a tweet in which he called Moskowitz a walking piece of human garbage. Quote, there's some crazy people out there that will follow crazy advice, even if it's not directly from the person himself, Moskowitz told Decrypt. Quote, even if it's not directly from the person himself, even if it's not Ben Armstrong causing the harm. That's not the big fear. 
The big fear is that one of his 3 million followers will act upon his instructions, end quote. Ay, 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 ay. That's, thank God, I, I'm glad that I put this shit at the end so that you didn't have to suffer through it in case you, you know, if, if you're not listening to me, it's because you've already ended the show for yourself and, and you know, you, you got out of this one. But this is, you know, this is going to continue. There's going to be a lot more class action lawsuits against a lot more influencers. And maybe because of that, I should actually be thankful that I'm not an influencer because I don't want to get sued. That's why I keep telling people just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, stay humble and stack sats, all those things. Don't buy shit coins. Don't trade with leverage. Don't trade at all. Don't mortgage your house. Don't take out credit card debt. Don't take out a loan to buy Bitcoin. If you can't buy it on the job you already have, then don't buy it at all. And if that is the case, maybe get another job or a side hustle or something like that. I know I, I don't really want to play into the whole grinding community that's been going on. And I'm not talking about grinder. I'm talking about you got to grind. You've got to face up to the challenge. You've got to have 12 side hustles and have no life whatsoever. I'm not, I don't want to play into that, but, but if you, you know, you've got ideas in your head, I guarantee it. Pull one of them out. See if you can make some money from it. Try doing it on Noster because things are being built. Go look at Will Trade. W-I-L-T-R-A-D-E, all one word. Just type it into Google or whatever. You'll probably find it. Will trade. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right. I would do a joke, but I'm not going to do a joke because I want to spend the very last minutes with you just basically saying this. Be very careful about this whole influencer thing. Don't, I'm just going to reiterate what I said at the very last, just just a few minutes ago, because it's important. All of the rest of this stuff, the DeFi, the shit coins, the Doge, it's, none of it means anything except for this. What it does mean is that it puts you into deeper and deeper or closer and closer connections with that which can throw the switch and turn on the electric chair in which you sit. Because the minute that you hold a bag of any of this crap, your exposure to that which you do not want to be exposed to rises way high. And you don't want that. The deeper and deeper you go into advising people to buy FTT, or advising people to do this, or advising people to do that. And if, if none of what you're advising has anything to do with stay humble and stack sats, then you are wandering off into a swamp, crocodiles, alligators. There's all manner of shit that can eat your ass alive. And some of them are lawyers. Others of them are United States government regulators. The closer you get to this other crap that's not Bitcoin, the closer you find yourself to those entities. You don't want to be there. So the last thing that needs to be said, as always, buy Bitcoin. Hold Bitcoin yourself with your own private keys. Do not let a third party hold that. Do not trade that Bitcoin at leverage. 
Do not take out credit cards or mortgage your house or, or get a payday loan against your car to go buy Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin with the dollars that you physically possess. Do not allow yourself to go into debt to any third party because you want to ape into anything, much less shitcoinery. But don't even do it for Bitcoin. I know there's a lot of people out there that say it's, you know, they were basically say, you know, saying a lot of this when interest rates uh, at the United States Federal Reserve were really low, like zero interest rates. And you were picking up house mortgages at 2.4%. And they were saying, yeah, dude, this is the best time. It's almost free money. I never, never, never once felt good about that. And some of the people that were saying that, and I believe Michael Saylor was one of them, I was really disappointed in that direction that some of the people that I highly respect were taking. I didn't lose all respect, of course, but I did lose some. Some more than others. Some I lost total respect for, but for the most part, most of the people that I thought that I knew and found to be of oh, I don't know, fine quality, have remained so. And that's why I know I'm on the right track when it comes to the people that I regard highly. I'm highly regarded. And the fact that I just do nothing but Bitcoin now. If I talk about shitcoinery, it's to warn you. If I talk about shitcoinery, it's to laugh and make fun of people that are not getting the message. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, Stay humble, stack sats. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.